Typically hazardous. This is Hank Fortner, and welcome back. This podcast today is sponsored by nobody, so you don't have to hit that fast-forward button nine times to see when the good stuff starts. The good stuff starts right now. We are bringing you right now a live talk, a talk that I gave to a room of amazing individuals at downtown Los Angeles last week, maybe three, four days ago, and it was a blast. It was the most fun that I have ever had talking to a room of people. Part of that was because there were more people in the room than we could legally allow in that room. And also because we just put it out there and said, hey, we're going to do this. And so many of you showed. And I'm just so grateful. And I can't explain how fun that was to be a part of that moment with so many of you. So if you're listening to this, you are now entering into a moment that a bunch of us shared downtown Los Angeles on Monday. Check it out and enjoy. I can't believe you're here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. I am so, my name is Hank, if we haven't met. And I'm so grateful for you being here in this space. I was talking to the guys earlier. I I didn't know if anybody would show up. So I'm so grateful that you did, and what a fun time we're going to have tonight. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, awesome. Before I um, start doing the things that I love, we are going to, I just want to say thank you to a guy named Larry Little. Is Larry here? Can we say what's up to Larry? Where's Larry? Larry! Larry, Larry and his team have been gracious enough to give us this entire place, space tonight for free so that we could do what we're doing. So check this out. Uh, uh, Larry and team, they're like a week into opening this space. So thank you for buying things and for tweeting about this place. And if you want to come up later and take pictures and, and tag this place, we want to help them. I would never invite you to some place with people who owned it that I thought were shady. They're wonderful humans. And I want our city, uh, I want the wonderful humans in our city to do really, really well. So let's help them make this place banging. So thank you. All right. We're going to do some stuff. You ready? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, just to give you some, some um, context, uh, I'm, I can't believe this is happening. I'm like so excited. We like booked it and it was like an idea and then a conversation and then uh, now you're here. We're making a thing together. So I just am so grateful that you're a part of the thing that we're making right now in, in this room. Uh, if you're here and you're not sure what's going to all happen, I'll give you a little bit of a picture of what's going on. Uh, what we're going to do is first we're going to talk about... Um, the, what the Greeks knew that we don't, that we lost a thousand years ago, and we're going to reclaim that. And then I'm going to talk to you about uh, pennies, ornaments, motorcycles, Cialis, and boogers, okay? And then I'm going to wrap up with some really important questions for us, and then I have a prize for you at the end, okay? So that's, that's all where we're headed. Do I sound okay? Okay, great. I love it. I love it. Uh, so could somebody please tell me what time it is? 8.07. Awesome. What time is it in New York? 11.07. Anybody know what time it is in, in Washington, D.C.? 11.07. Anybody know what time it is in Syria? Any Syrians? No? So what time would that be? Just so I... Okay. What about Central African Republic? Anybody know what time it is in the Central African Republic? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll look that up later. It's Tuesday there. Awesome. That's, that's, that's very helpful. You know what's crazy about time is that we have this extraordinary... Um, relationship with time as human beings. Right now in our world, I find it fascinating the way that we're relating to time. 
because the people without money are trading their time for money. And then the people with money, they're using their money to try to get time back. So the people without, without money are doing anything they can, giving you time which is more valuable than money to get money. And then the people with money are trying to hire people to do things so that they can finally get time back. And then the journey of a person is they go along that time for money bandwagon and then they try to figure out and they realize how brief it is and how little time they have left. See, for you and me, in our life, our way of relating to time in our world right now is insanity. We relate to time in such this bizarre, strange place. We act like every day, like we have an unlimited supply of it. And it's the one resource we can never replenish. It's the one thing we can never go green enough to keep it and keep replenishing. It will, once it's gone, it's gone. But we have these, this world we live in that worships people who go faster, worships people and cheers for people who fill their plate with more and they're the go-to guy and they're on top of it. And if you wait three or four hours to respond to somebody over text message, they send you question marks and question marks and what's going on? <laughs> because we expect immediacy. And the worst thing is when it says it was read. Because then you're staring at your phone. I can't even put it down. You're going to respond, right? You get it. We expect things now. We want it immediately because our way we're relating to time is we're demanding more of ourselves and our time than we actually have resource for. It's an insane world we live in. If someone from a thousand years ago, from 2000 years ago, showed up today, they would look at all of us and go, what are you doing? Yes, you have the technology and you have all the things and you're wasting this precious thing you have and treating it like it's never going to disappear. But if you know someone up and older in age, you better believe that they're aware of how little they have left. And when you find people who are dying and when you find people who are ill, they know how precious it is. My dad, when I was young, used to say that stupid and annoying phrase to me over and over and over. That cliche, you could say it with me, the youth is wasted on... The young, because when you get older, you realize what a precious thing you lost. But it wasn't always that way. See, in our time and place in history, we're treating time like it's, like it's going to always replenish itself. But see, in reality, time was understood very differently thousands of years ago. The Greeks, they understood times in a very important way. Anybody a fan of Greek mythology? I have both hands in the air. There were two, two Greek gods that they related to as time. The way they understood time and place in our personal lives was understood in these two ways. There was Kronos. Everybody say Kronos. Kronos was an old man. He was a god who kept things moving along. It's where we get the word chronology. He was the god of time. He was the god of the cosmos. Everything that was moving, you knew that tomorrow was coming because Kronos was going to bring it to you. Then there was this, this other god. Well, actually, we need some like a visible representation. Do I have any old men in this house? Are there any old men? I need an old man. We need an old man. Dude, bring it on up, man. Bring it on up, Andy. Give it up for my Kronos. This is Andy. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. We got a doctor here, I'm sure. I need you to stand right over here in the darkness. Okay, so the important thing to note about Kronos is that Kronos takes everything from you. Time takes everything from you. It will take your family. It will take your friends. It will take your life. This guy, Kronos, takes everything you love and steals all those beautiful things that you wish would last forever, he takes it all from you. There's a famous painting from a French artist that has a painting of Kronos, the god, eating his own child. Because the picture was that even time will kill all things. So that's the kind of guy you are, Andy, tonight, okay? 
But, but then there was this other God. It wasn't just the Kronos that lived. There was this other God. This God that was a young boy who could fly and never aged. Does that sound familiar to anyone? His actual name was Kairos, but it's where the story came because they said that he lived in the land of never. And that's where our story came from. See, Kairos was this young boy who could fly who never aged. Kronos, you knew he was coming. He was there the next day. He was everywhere. He was as consistent as the stars. You knew it was going to happen. But Kairos, he arrived to you. He surprised you. See, Kronos was all about chronology and the quantity of time that you had. But Kairos was about the quality of time you had. Kairos was translated the supreme moment. The supreme moment that would arrive in some unexpected way. Kronos, he was the universe. He was the stars. They moved and they never surprised you. They were always where they said they were going to be. But Kairos, he snuck up behind you. He was like the ocean. And all the waves, and sometimes he was still and calm, and sometimes it was rough and rocky, and it was chaos, and sometimes it was madness. So I need a young, beautiful man. Does it, can there be a young, beautiful man in the house? You can, if you raise your hand, everyone's going to be like, okay, man. So go ahead and volunteer someone else. You got a beard. You have to be younger. I need younger. Come on up. Come on up. Just, just, and then if you're single, we're just going to mention that. Oh, he's not. It's Tommy. Come on up, Tommy. Give it up for Tommy, the, the, the young, beautiful man. I'm so glad you're here. This is Kairos. So he's young and beautiful, and you want him in your life. Let me tell you why. Because he arrives in the unexpected moments, and if you're not paying attention to him, you live completely mastered by Kronos. And in our society, in our world today, the only way we understand time is through Kronos of where we need to be next and what's next. And there's a clock ticking inside of us everywhere we are going, what's next, who's next, what's happening. And we're just looking at our phones, trying, wondering when this time is going to pass. And Kronos is running our life. But see, it's Kairos that was the primary understanding. If you were a Greek or a Hebrew 2,000 years ago, the only way you understood time was Kairos. And you would laugh if someone told you about a time to be a place about chronos, about moving through, they move through seasons, you move through moments. So if I asked a Greek or a Hebrew a thousand years ago what time it was in New York, they would have said winter. If I said, hey, what time is it in Syria, they would have said war. If I said, what time is it in Central African Republic, they would have said genocide. If I said, what time is it in Washington, D.C., they would have said Trump. Because they only see things as moments and as seasons as ridiculous as they may be. So there's a passage of scripture. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm just going to have you guys stand here for this verse. There's a passage of scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that was an amazing 70s song, but it was written a lot earlier than that. And I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to think of these two options of time as you hear this passage. For everything, there is an appointed time. An appropriate time for every activity on earth. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, we're halfway through this verse, but I want you to realize, as you probably picked up already, the Greeks translated this word as kairos. There is a moment to throw away stones and a moment to gather them. There is a kairos to embrace and a moment to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up what was lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, 
a time to rip and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. See, this contrast is where you and I, we get our life back. This contrast is where we reclaim in 2016 that no longer will we be a slave to Kronos, which is already going to take everything from us. Why would we give it to him? Then if we pause and go in 2016, we will resolve that we will live life and see time as a young, beautiful thing that arrives to us. You are that young, beautiful thing, and you can take a seat. Thank you for the young, beautiful thing, and thank you for the old man. Thank you so much. So I want to know tonight if you're ready. You want to get your life back? You want to get, you get your life back? Because there's two really practical things that we can do to get our life back. And I, I want to talk to you about this because it's so essential to my life because I've been through this transformation. The first thing we have to do to get our life back, to get our time back, to get back everything that we've given and lost to Kronos is we have to embrace the disruptions. We have to embrace the disruptions. And see, we already do this. A disruption, see, is defined as a problem or an interruption of the program. Anybody here program people? Anybody like their schedule and you keep it? And then when it's off schedule or when you do something that's not on the schedule, you go back and you change what it was and you say, this is, how, this is what I went through today. If I have a meeting that was unexpected, I add it to my calendar in post. And then I just add it and then I just go, just so I know when I look back. And if something changes, then I, I, I'm annoyed at that. And when I get think, people who go, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, absolutely. We don't look at the calendar because that's going to be the plan for my life for the next three months. Somebody asked us for dinner in December and I said, how's February sound? Because I love to plan. And that's all the Kronos stuff because Kronos is essential. But what we have to do is embrace the disruptions. We already do that in our life. You and I, we already give all the power possible to disruptions. You know how we do that? With our phones. When you get a text message, did you know that when you get a text message that you, the average person stops breathing for two and a half seconds? Like when you get the push notification, when you look at your phone, it's called screen apnea. You stop breathing for an average of two and a half seconds. Some of us, longer than that. Some of you are like, <gasps> and then it just keeps going. You also get what's called attentional deafness, meaning you cannot hear anything for an average of four seconds. So for four seconds, you turn off two of your involuntary operations of your body. You involuntarily are hearing me right now. I mean, you can close your ears and you can leave, but you can't stop from hearing me. But if you get a text message, you're going to stop breathing and stop hearing me. We are in, when you do that, you give power to the disruption. We have the opportunity in our life to embrace the disruption. See, this happened for me in my life because uh, I have a motorcycle. Anybody motorcycle people? Just be careful. I have a motorcycle that I take all over the place, but mostly on dirt and trees because they can't text and drive or smoke weed. And, and I, I prefer to be off in the woods. But I have a problem with my motorcycle. I've had to get it fixed a whole bunch of times. Because um, when I've had to get it fixed, it's because it doesn't idle. Anybody have that problem ever? You know what that means? That basically means that it keeps revving even when, it's, when I'm just sitting in an intersection in neutral. Which means that it's going like going nuts while I'm just kind of sitting at a light. Cars and other motorcycles think I'm trying to race them. Because it's just revving. It's and the guy's looking over me, and I'm going, I'm wearing my helmet, but I'm going, I'm, it's not my fault. I'm not doing anything. Which they usually translate as, you can't beat this. It's amazing. I'm, I'm so fast. You can't even try. We, to which point, they peel out or they do wheelies, and it's like I was not even playing that game. I don't know why. So I had to take it in. Because essentially, it could kill me. It would rev so high that it would redline until it could, could explode right underneath me. 
So I had to get that fixed because it just wouldn't rest. See, I had the same thing happen to me in my life in February of 2014. I was uh, the guy who just kept moving. Because just like my motorcycles, my motorcycle kept moving. It was fine. It was just when it stopped that it kept revving and revving and revving and revving. And I was like that. I used to joke that I was a great white shark and I couldn't stop because if I stopped, I would stop breathing. Great white sharks can only breathe when they're movement. And I would say, oh, that's what I am. And I fell into this Kronos move where everybody was high-fiving me for being super busy. And the more things I piled on my plate, the more backpats I got and the more value I thought about my life and the more important I was. And so I just kept filling it up and filling it up and filling it up until I realized that my body just started carrying a weight and there was pressure and there was pressure. And I would wake up every morning with a cold feeling in my chest that I had more to do today than I had hours in the day. And it just kept getting tighter and tighter. And then I was relational because I was letting people down over and over. And I was letting my family down. And what I didn't want is I didn't want my people to ask my daughter, what's your dad like? And she would say, he's busy. And I would sit there with all that pressure and I would having a hard time sleeping and I would sleep very little. And just like when a diver goes into the ocean, you know, the deeper they go, the more pressure builds. That pressure builds because of the water that is on top of them. That's what it felt like every day for me. Is the water was just on top of me. And finally, when I called uncle, it's when an alarm started going off in my body. Uh, my ears started ringing at a very high rate, at a very high pitch. And it kept ringing and ringing and ringing, getting louder and louder and louder because my body was screaming that it had to stop. It was turning off. And I remember going to my boss and going to my team and them saying, you just need to take some time off, which was the worst thing that I could have done. It was the right thing for me, but it made everything worse because now I've been deriving all my value from being the go-to guy and being able to do things and showing all that stuff. And now I'm in pain. My motorcycle won't stop revving. And now what am I? I'm, I'm nothing. I'm not important. I'm not doing anything. I had all of my value wrapped into what I could do. What was I physically doing? And I slipped into this depression that was like a heavy cloud that clung to my throat. And I just sat in it, and my family watched me sit in it, and I just hung in it. And it hit the worst moment when I was downstairs in my house by myself, and uh, I pulled out the life insurance policy that I'd taken out on myself two years earlier. And um, I just wanted to know if, uh, if it covered um, self-inflicted death. And if I took my own life, would my family be taken care of? Because I just didn't know where the relief would come. Now I have all this pressure, but there's nothing to do with it. And I was just there, sitting in it. And somewhere in the midst of that, somewhere in the midst of that heaviness, I just thought, what am I doing? And the life insurance policy said I needed two more years. And I remember thinking to myself, I can wait two more years. See, but in that moment and in that place, it was as if I had this like out-of-body thought or out-of-body string of experiences, strings of thought in the midst of that darkness. Because have you ever been fighting with your spouse? Anybody here married? Yeah. Have you ever been fighting with your wife and then your brain goes to some place that you know she would get so mad if it went to? Like, if, did you send that email earlier? Like, she's mad at you and expecting you to be in the fight with her and all you're thinking about is, did I email that guy or what time is the... Like a totally separate thing. Or for me, I'm really hooked on this game Boom Beach. Like Boom Beach, we upgrade stuff. Like the other day, we're having this mega fight, and all I'm thinking about is, did I upgrade the sniper tower to 11 or 12? <laughs> and, and she's like, you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, yes! And then I'm like, I think it's 12. I think it was 12. 
And, and all I can think about, because I got to get to level 30 and I got I to move to, and it's like a, an out-of-body thought. I'm still here, but I'm like other places. And it was in that moment that I started to have this other places conversation that I saw, I understood that I was misunderstanding what was going on. That moment in my life, the darkness, the cloud, it was not the end of my chronos. It was a Kairos moment. It was a supreme moment that was not to be ignored. It was not to be let go. It was not to pass by. It was a moment that I had an opportunity to take a deep breath and go, there's something here. This is not the end of my chronology. This is something that I just can't ignore. And the thought that kept hovering is, is there something good here? Is there something that's being fixed here? Is there some opportunity here? Is, a, is there a gift here in the midst of this? Because you see, for me, what I keep missing all the time is I miss my life because I just get on the Kronos train and I just keep moving on to the next thing. And when I'm in a place, all I can think about is the next place that I'm going to and I miss all of it. But see, that moment, it stopped me in my tracks that I had this opportunity to pay attention to every Kairos moment and every supreme moment in my life. And I started doing this as a kid because I had a lot of really hard moments as a kid. And my grandfather, he used to make me read Thomas Jefferson books and I had to read everything about Thomas Jefferson. He thought he was the greatest person alive. So I had to read everything he'd known about Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Edison and all these people. Well, in one of the Thomas Edison books that I read, there was this moment where Thomas Edison had all of his, his entire life's work in a building. And all of his entire life's work was in that building that was uninsured and it caught fire and it was blazing. And the first report that he said is he ran over to a messenger and he says, go and get my family and go and get all of their friends because they're never gonna see a fire burn like this again the rest of their life. And I remember reading that going, That's, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that person. So in the midst of this, in the midst of that moment, I was like, I'm going to embrace this disruption. I'm going to embrace this disruption of my own chronos psychology of the wild world that I'm living in. I'm going to embrace the disruption. And one of the ways that I started doing that is with my hands. So you might find another way to do it and you might find it some other space, but I started doing it with my hands. Because in some weird way, like I, my hands are the most important thing that I use every single day. And when I, when a hand is hurt or broken or something happens, I'm like a completely unfunctional human being. I can't text, you know, like I just, I'm just a worthless person when that happens, but your hands are so essential. And my hands right now from, from working out, can you believe this? I have calluses, things torn off my body from Olympic lifting. I know. I mean, I've been lifting the bar alone, but it's been hard. And, it's, and I've got calluses and I love them. And I'm like, I look at them and I show them to my daughter. And I love working with my hands. But I started a thing when I was a kid where when we would drive in the car, you ever do this? I would stick my hand out the window and I would sort of like feel the air through my fingers. You ever do that? And I would just feel it rush through my fingers and I would hold the air. And then as I got older, my parents would take me to this bowling alley. You ever go to a bowling alley and you can stick your hand right over that fan? And I would sort of stand there and my dad would go, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just feeling the wind. Because there was something I was able to do when I had my hand in the air is I felt like I was stopping time. And even nowadays when I'm on a motorcycle and it's a beautiful scene, my friends joke with me that my hand always goes up in the air and I start to feel the air. Because it's my way of freezing time. Because I want hands that work hard. And I want hands with blisters on them. And I love when I paint. And when I paint, I get paint on my hands, I leave it on there. So then when I go to places and I pay, they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I do stuff. I physically do things with myself. Like I want it on, and I want cuts, and I'm like, yeah, I got, because I want hands that work hard, but I always want hands that can feel the wind because there's something about the way I put my hand in the air that I feel like I can freeze time. 
in June of this year, I gave what I felt like was the most important talk of my life up to that point at the Chateau Marmont, which is like, I'm a homeschooled kid from Ohio. What am I doing at the Chateau Marmont? I don't even know. And I'm, and I'm, I'm in the Chateau and I'm in the bathroom right before I'm about to talk and they're banging on the door to say, you're up, you're up, you're up. And there's all these awesome people in the penthouse. And right before I went up, I just took my hand out the window and I felt the breeze. I just thought, I'm going to freeze time and I'm just going to stop and take a deep breath. The way that I get to my Kairos moments is with my hands. Whenever I go someplace beautiful, all I do is pay attention to the way the wind hits my hands. See, I want hands that work hard and I want hands that can comfort my daughter and hold my wife's hands, but I want hands that can feel the wind. It's so important to me that even in the midst of the speed of life that I'm able to throw the brakes, that I'm able to pull back and go, I'm just going to embrace the disruption. And sometimes the disruption comes to you in the form of pain, and sometimes the disruption comes to you in the form of beautiful things. And sometimes the disruption comes to you in the form of the most precious things you can imagine. Because what happens with Cialis is that they're selling you on this very same idea. Do you know what Cialis is doing? They're selling people right now, their whole movement is they're selling people on the daily use of Cialis. That is, Cialis for daily use is a real thing. You can Google it and you can just have a wonderful time with the commercials. Because <laughs> check this out. Cialis, if you're not aware, is like another version of Viagra, right? It's the sex pill. And they're telling people to take it every day of their lives. It's good for them because they're selling it to you, but I want to meet the guy who has the confidence of going, I'm taking it this morning. <laughs> every day, they're telling you to take it. And you know what they say? They say, because you never know when the moment will come upon you. Okay. I still want to meet the guy who takes it every morning. Like, I don't know, it's Tuesday, but who knows what could happen. That, I want to shake that guy's hand. What are they selling you on? They're selling you on the fact that there are divine and supreme moments ahead of you and you just aren't aware of them. But if you take Cialis, then you're going to spot him. Yeah. Then you're going to walk in every room and go, I'm ready for anything. See, I think we should leave our Cialis on the shelf. No judgment if you're still taking it every day. But leave our Cialis on the shelf and take Kairos every day. And every day go through our lives and go, I don't know what today's going to bring. But I'm going to embrace every disruption as a divine opportunity for something beautiful to happen in my life. I'm going to take a deep breath and go... Something amazing is going to happen today. I'm going to embrace every divine opportunity, every disruption, everything that seems like chaos or beauty. I'm taking it all because something could happen in my life. I'm going to take my Kairos every single day. See, because if you ever had a moment come upon you that you weren't prepared for, because if you don't think like this, these moments are going to happen to you and then you're going to be at your worst behavior. It's... Sort of like when uh, you have like an itch on the front of your nose and you're at like a dinner party. You have an itch or like a thing there and you're just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know what I mean? You're just going to get rid of it real quick. And hope it just goes off, like just goes away. It's like a, it's slightly inside of the, the fold of your nasal and you just, you're just going to push it off. But when you do and when your finger makes contact with it, you feel like a gripping. You feel the hold. And when your finger comes off, you're like, oh dear God. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you just go, oh, this was going to be such a small thing. And then it's not anymore. And now, and now you're wondering, what do I do? With it? You might be in your car some days. You might be at the office. You might be someplace. You, you're judging me right now. Like, this is gross. And, but you've been there and I know it and I can feel it. And you go, what do I do? 
See, that is the moment where the moment is bigger than you. You, you weren't ready for that moment. But if you're ready and you keep those Kairos tissues in your hand, keep them in your pocket every day, and then when you have those moments that come around, you're ready for them. So I know you think that's disgusting, but the next time you have like an itch in your nose, you're going to be like, am I missing a supreme moment? <laughs> See, I had some of those happen to me where I thought I was having breakfast with a friend, and he looked at me across the table and said, I've hated you for a year. I thought I was having coffee with a girl, and I realized, oh no, I'm in love with her. But now she has two of my kids, so we're good. You think you're having a meeting and you realize, I think I'm supposed to create something with this person. You think you're having coffee. You think you're coming to a thing. You think you're going out. You think you're somewhere. And then there's something that's happening. And if we're ready for it, this is how we get our life back is we embrace that disruption. Yes. See, the second thing we can do is not just embrace the disruption, but you can be the disruption. You can actually be the Kairos disruption in the lives of the people that you love and the people around you to take a deep breath and go, I am Peter Pan. I am the beautiful man that never ages that is gonna fly into your life and do something you least expected because we are surrounded by people with attentional deafness who cannot hear and are not breathing. They are surrounded all around us and we have been those people for so long. And you'll start to see this when you wake up and when you pull back, you'll go, they just missed that beautiful thing and they were staring at their phone while that sun was setting. And they were not even looking when that child tried to get their attention. And they weren't even looking when that person asked for help. And they didn't even watch when that was happening all around them. And you'll wake up and you'll see it and it will drive you crazy. And you can't get judgy. Because if you get judgy, it's all lost. But you can be the disruption. You can lean in and go, I'm going to do something unexpected and I'm going to surprise this person. I'm going to realize that these disruptions, whether they are problems or beautiful opportunities, I'm going to step into them and I'm going to do it. You're going to find moments to pause. I was at a basketball game the other day, or a baseball game, or a... I was at a sporting event. I'm not like sports. I was at places where people pay money to see things, and I was walking through, and this guy was doing his very best to take care of all the people in the, in the space. And I just grabbed him by the shoulder as people were just ignoring him, ignoring him, ignoring him, and I pulled him close, and I said, you are so good at your job. I said, man, I wish I owned a sports arena. I would hire you to be my first employee. And he got this huge grin on his face. I bet you he would recognize my face. I bet you he would recognize a Kairos moment. There are people all around you, whether they work with them or they are your family members. Whenever I get a disruption, I race home. When a phone call ends early or a meeting ends early, I race home and I dive into dad life. And I get home and go, I'm going to surprise my wife because she's not going to expect that I was coming home. I'm going to grab my daughters. And I ask my daughter sometimes, I have this Jeep that doesn't have electricity or seatbelts or a roof or anything. And I drive my daughter around the neighborhood in it. And I always go, and in the middle of it, when Kronos is taking over, you can think in your mind, what can I do to disrupt this? What can I do to make a memory? What can I do? Because you know the memories I have as a kid are the times when my family's Kronos was interrupted when we were on trips and when my dad took me to crazy things or when something happened, why do we remember trauma so well? Because it wakes us up. So let's wake people up with beautiful moments. And I look at my three-year-old daughter and I say, you want to drive around in the Jeep? She gets this look in her face like I just said, I am Santa Claus. I mean, she just <laughs> freaks out and I get to drive and she has an ear-to-ear -ear grin and she can't stop. I drove my daughter, a couple of us, we drove our kids up to the snow and I hooked a GoPro 
on the front of her sled and I just threw her down the hill. And I text my wife the picture. She said, I have never seen her that happy in my life. The looks on their faces. Let's find moments where we can step into that and go, let's be the disruption. Let's create a more beautiful world as we get our life back from the chronology and the speed and the lie that more is better. Let's reclaim all that. See, I had this happen the other day. I, I get burritos at this place in Hollywood called Burger Factory. You ever seen that place? It looks so gross, but it's delicious. They're the best breakfast burritos. And I'm in there getting breakfast burritos, and I'm picking them up for the family, and I'm walking in there, and there's these two homeless dudes who are yelling at each other. And they're in there a lot, and there's other, a lot of times there's these big, burly construction workers, and these guys are all in there too, but these two homeless dudes start yelling at each other more and more and more, and one guy stands up on top of the table, the other one pushes him down, and then they just started beating the crap out of each other. And then it starts to get violent, and things are thrown, and all the people, even these big guys, just start backing off and backing away from them. And the people in, behind the counter are kind of getting afraid, and so I just thought, oh, it's my Kairos moment. <laughs> and I've been doing Olympic lifting. So I walk right over to the edge where I'm safe from any action, and I just said, hey, you're going to stop right now. And both of them stop, and they look at me, and you've ever heard that phrase that the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Yeah, they became friends, and I became the enemy. So they both stop, and they both stand up, and they face me, and they go, who's going to make us stop, you? And they start walking towards me. And I kind of look to my right or left, thinking, for sure there's construction workers who have, like, joined me. They are, you could peel these guys off the walls behind me. They're just done. They want to have nothing to do with this. And so I just looked them square in the face and I said, if I can't stop you, those two cops outside will. And they stop, they grab their bags, and they just like sit down in the seats. So I walk over and I pay for my burritos like a flipping cowboy. <laughs> I'm just like, and I still, they still made me pay. I'm like, I freaking saved your day. Like, the construction worker who's there leans over and he goes, where are, the, where are the police officers? I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's Hollywood, so they're out there somewhere. But I just assumed that there were police out there, and I was summoning them with my energy. But it was my Kairos moment. See, you have these moments that happen around you all the time. There's one more verse I'm going to share with you, and then we're going to wrap up, and we can hang out and eat and beverage and hang out and just chill. There's this passage. There's this passage in, in Psalm 90 that says, teach us to count our days. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's the Hebrews telling God, teach us to count our days. To a Hebrew, you would, you would never count humans. That's like, that would be offensive if I said, how many people are in the room? They would say, why are you asking about the people? Which is why in the scriptures, you can never actually find accurate counts of people. They say, oh, he fed 5,000. That was 5,000 men. There were women and children there. You can never get an accurate count of the Israelites. They're going, it might've been 2 million. It might've been 4 million. You don't know. Why? Because it was offensive to count people because we are a people. Why would you count individuals? Which is always why it's so weird to me that you go to churches and all they do is count people. And then pastors get more famous the more people they have in their space. Because it's a chronology world we live in that cares about the quantity and not the quality. It's a reflection of our universe, not ego or pride. And so when they Hebrews tell God, teach us to number our days, when they read those words, they would say, why would we count our days? We only count animals. We don't count our days. 
but it was an invitation to count our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we may be aware of how few we have. So if we count our days, we're aware of how precious they are. And if we're aware of how precious they are, it will make us wise. But to a Hebrew, the understanding of wisdom isn't that you just go, okay, I need to be wise about my day. I don't know about you, but I want to do a lot of cool things in my life. How about you? So I have a tendency to go, I'm just going to do it all because I'm numbering my days. I just have to do more because that's the way to do it. When in reality, what a Hebrew would understand as wisdom is that if you lived a wise life, you lived a life of delight. You lived a life of delight because when you're wise, you make decisions that make your life delightful. When you're foolish, you make decisions that make your life difficult and destructive and you're constantly trying to rebuild. Wisdom was about making the choices that would make your life delightful. So my question for you is when you number your days, is your everyday delightful? It's what God is inviting you and me into is that we would live a life where our days, our every day is numbered and it is delightful. So I started numbering my days. I started figuring out how many days I have. So I'm going to guesstimate that I'm going to live to be about 90 years old. So if I live to be about 90 years old, got this old Bible from a store. It's a massively old Bible. There are enough pages in this Bible that if I read one page every day, I could get through it five times before I die. All I would do is read one page a day and five times through, and I'm gone. It's all I have left. All I have left is five times through this book and I'm done. Five times through and then I'm out. That's all I get. Those are the numbers of the days I have in my life. And I'm guessing, guesstimating 90, but I eat crazy and I have a motorcycle, so it might even be less. So I might get through this book four times. <laughs> I figure that I have about 14 Christmases left with my daughter Cora living in my house. And... Um, She's my best friend in the whole world. And all I can think about is that I've got these 15 Christmases, these 14 Christmases. And every single time there's Christmas and there's a, there's a December 24th and a December 25th, I'm going to give you my Christmases. Who wants my Christmas? These are all I have left with my daughter Cora in my house. That's it. You get a Christmas too, Nate. Here we go. Who wants the rest of my Christmases? I'll give you a Christmas. Oh, jeez. I just injured you with a Christmas. Yeah, here we go. I'll give you a Christmas. These are all the Christmases I have, and when I'm out of these, I'm out of my daughter living in my home. See, but what does it make me do? It makes me go, every single one is a kairos. It's an opportunity to make it beautiful. See, I figure for my life, I pick up about a penny a year. Anybody pick up pennies? Yeah, 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 pick up pennies. It's ridiculous that we even have pennies, but I pick them up about one time a year. One time a year in my life, I pick up a penny. I do, I, I, I pick a penny off the ground because if it's face up, it's good luck. So I pick up one penny a year. So in my hand, I hold 60 pennies. That's all the life I have left. And every time I pick up a penny, and every time I choose, I picked up a penny yesterday. That's one less penny I have. I have 59 left. That when you hold it in your hand, you go, man, if I number my days, every single day counts and every single day matters. So why would I give these days I have left to Kronos who's going to take them from me anyways? Let's live a hearts of wisdom. May we live a life where you and I 
we have the opportunity to go, no, Kronos is going to take everything from us anyways. I'm not giving it to him early. I'm living a life of delight where my every day is a day of wisdom and I delight in every single moment. My hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you would reclaim your life from the chronos psychology of the world around us and step into Kairos and say, there are divine moments in every day of my existence. That you would embrace the disruption. That you would be a hardworking, high accomplishing, high achieving person who does crazy things and yet you always have hands that can feel the wind. I pray that your life would be a life where you would embrace the days that you have left in your life. And anytime there's a disruption, you go, I wonder what could be happening here. Is there something, is there an arrival of a moment I would otherwise totally miss? The invitation to you and me is that we would reclaim the time we've lost. And that you and I would ask the question, not how many days do we have left, but how much kairos do we have the courage to search for? How much disruption do we have the courage to bring to people's lives? How much joy do we have the power and the courage to bring to the lives of those around us? That we would number our days and you and I, we would live these hearts of wisdom and every day would be a delight. What I would love to do before we wrap is I want to say a prayer for you. And maybe you don't pray and maybe you've never been prayed for, but I'm going to pray over all of us and nothing weird is going to happen and I won't throw anything, any pennies at you while your heads are bowed. But if you want to, you can head bow and eyes closed. And if you're not used to praying, I'll give you another option. What you can do is just close your eyes and you can just sort of center yourself on these thoughts. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this room, for every story and every life that filled the room. And I thank you that these human beings are in this room right now that they represent a Kairos moment for me I will never forget. But God, in this room there are marriages. In this room there are parents. In this room there are friends. There are moms, there are dads, there are brothers and sisters and sons. And God, I pray for every single one of our Kairos moments that we would no longer miss the powerful wind that is among us. May our hands be sensitive always to the time you are bringing into our life. We pray all of this in your name, and together we said, amen. amen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of today. You're amazing. You're so awesome. Okay, now, I mean it, and I don't even know how, how to explain it as much, and I'm going to say it one more time. After, after the time I'm saying it right now, to just say thank you so much for being here. It means so tremendously, overwhelmingly grateful that I get to do this with you and I get to do this for you and I get to put these things together. I just pray that your life is a life where you look at every moment and see that something divine is happening in the midst of it. Before we go, one of my favorite poets in all of the world is here tonight. And so I have asked... Danielle Bennett to come and bring us a spoken word piece. So would you please give it up for Miss Danielle Bennett. Dr. Pierre asked him which life to preserve, his wife or their unborn daughter. Some moments pry open the mouth of time into a great yawn, a forced fight for air. 
The moment itself is a needle stuck in the groove of a record. The scratchy note of a dirge we cannot skip. It was August 2013. In a treehouse in Thailand, draped by rain, she watched him pull a box from his soggy pocket. And some moments are the slow and sexy snap of a castanet in the palm of a flamenco dancer, stretched by our own guitar pick. It is the moment we slow so well we can see wind sweeping off chimes. We can feel the tingle rise like a tide. Last week, I tried so many push-ups my arms threatened to dislodge. I bought three avocados and oatmeal. I waited in line at the post office. I barked at my fingers to produce more content. I tried to call my sister seven times. And some moments seem like white noise. Filler stuffed in between things worth writing down. Some conversations we treat as an arduous rowing we must perform in order to arrive somewhere. Time, a scarce commodity we write off as something we'll understand when we're gray. It was January, 1955. My grandfather rattled like a tambourine when he told the doctor, I need them both. Alas, my grandmother and mother survived, and I am here because he decided which options the moment was going to give him. It was August, 2013. My best friend blinked tears through yes to the man with the box, now her husband, and I learned what it is to celebrate a love I will grow old next to. Last week, some 90s jam got me through my last push-up, and I collapsed smiling. I looked the cashier and the postal lady in the eyes when I said Happy New Year, and I meant it. I wrote a farewell poem to who I used to be. I realized my sister's number is my favorite muscle memory. I realized today is a track in the snow. I can't freeze. Right now is a breath. I can't go back and edit. My life oozes with ink and writes, even while I sleep. When I wake, I play piano keys with my feet and I can hold the echo of a note for as long as my attention span. I can steer conversations with my tongue into a world I cannot see. Every morning, there's a forecast of a meteor shower of beautiful moments I don't want to keep missing. When I hit the brakes, I don't want to feel whiplash. I want the rush to feel me, ease. I want to be at the hospital or in my own treehouse or at the grocery store with a tongue held out to catch gold dust dripping from all the possibilities I was brave enough to mine out of normalcy. I want to taste the day before I swallow it. One of my favorite people in the whole world has stage four cancer and she says, I can't find the answers I'm looking for. All I know to do is to take each day as it is and really live it. I want to really live it. I want to come back to myself a year from now and be able to say it was January. 2016, 
I showed up. My attention had infinite invitations, so I carved a poem away from its reach. I read it aloud, gentle and strong as a conch shell inscribed with secrets that time only tells to those who quiet their minds long enough to hear them. Thank you. Well, that concludes our first ever live recording of Typically Hazardous. I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Jake Vitamontes, who did the video, which you will get a piece of later. I want to give a huge shout out to my dude Colton, who produced the whole event. I want to give a huge shout out to our, that poet, Danielle Bennett. Wasn't she amazing? She Her stuff is just incredible, and you can Google her, Danielle Bennett. I was so grateful for the piece she put together for this piece. And what a night we had. Now, we're going to be doing this again the first week of February. So if you're in Los Angeles or going to be in Los Angeles, join us the first week of February. We'll be posting details on hankfortner.com, at Hank on Instagram, and Hank at Hank Fortner on Twitter. And we'll post in all the information. You can also find me on Facebook. And I think there's a Pinterest and a Friendster and a MySpace out there. <laughs> I don't even totally know. You guys are awesome, and I love getting to do this, and I love doing this and being a part of your life in this way, and it's just so fun. So thank you for being a part of the most fun thing in my life. You're awesome, and we'll see you next week.